You are Locked On Marlins, your daily podcast on the Miami Marlins, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. This is the Locked On Marlins podcast, your go-to daily podcast for all things Miami Marlins. As always, I'm your host, Aram Layton. I'm a longtime Marlins writer as well as a prospect writer and analyst. And in today's episode, we are going to talk about the Marlins' big victory, game one of the series against the D-backs. Brian Anderson's return does not disappoint, hitting a three-run home run, which was the Marlins' offense for a majority of the game until the bottom of the eighth where they just blew it open six runs to help them to nine total, beating the D-backs nine to three. And a big part of that bottom of the eighth charge was a three-run shot off the bat of none other than Lewis Brinson, who had another good ball game. He hit three balls on the screws today, three batted balls over 100 miles per hour that opposite field home run off of the lefty that was Al Young but the other two barrels coming off of righties so encouraging performance from Lewis Brinson I know a lot of people have been kind of saying I'm done hoping for Lewis Brinson to put it together and wherever you stand on that that's fine but the reality is Lewis Brinson's in the lineup right now and if he can help the team win in any way that's a good thing And the last few games, he's been playing some pretty good baseball. So as long as he can contribute in the meantime, even if it's mostly as a guy who's competent against lefties and plays good defense, the Marlins are trying to tread water right now and they need every single person to help keep them afloat. And Brian Anderson coming back is a huge boost to that. And they will slowly get some more reinforcements back. Jazz Chisholm still seems like a week at least out from returning. He's not eligible to return until Saturday. Jorge Alfaro probably the next player to make his comeback here and suit back up for the fish. And then Eliezer Hernandez at Sixto Sanchez looking like they're about a couple weeks to a month out, but they could not come soon enough. But the pitching hasn't really been the problem. And we saw another really good start from Sandy Alcantara, who definitely had the stuff working for him today. Six innings, six hits, one earned run, six strikeouts, and that one earned run came on a solo shot. That was it. The only time he really got burned today, and that was a solo shot off the bat of Josh Rojas, who's been pretty hot for the D-back so far this season. And the Marlins bullpen, for the most part, came up pretty strong. Bass ended his streak of solid outings by giving up a run and a couple hits today and otherwise the bullpen came up pretty big especially my man Richard Blyer who came up huge for this team you could argue that Richard Blyer played the biggest part in this victory today he single-handedly changed the tide as the Marlins looked like they were going to blow the lead it was a 3-3 game the bases were loaded for the D-backs with no outs and in came Richard Blyer, who strikes out the next three batters and sends his team into hit with the game still tied. It seemed like the Blyer move was almost the Marlins saying, okay, we'll concede a run and turn two up the middle and get two outs and minimize the damage here. Instead, my man Richard Blyer, who's had some issues keeping the ball in the yard, strikes out the side and gives the Marlins a huge momentum shift and really changed the tide in the ball game. The Marlins, a couple innings later, end up putting up those six runs in the eighth, and it was a really balanced offensive effort today. Miggy Rowe starting to get hot again, three hits, drove in a run. 
Jesus Aguilar, also a good ball game as well, picks up another RBI single. Corey Dickerson continues to hit his average up to 317. Brian Anderson, that big three-run shot. Of course, Lewis Brinson with a pair of hits and that three-run shot as well. And Sandy Leone adding another hit to the total. He's actually been not terrible at the plate. And even Sandy Alcantara gets his first hit of the season. Great all-around victory for the Marlins as they try to climb back to 500, now 12-16. and It's going to be a tough series to sweep because of the fact that Paul Campbell, who I forgot to allude to in the beginning of the podcast, was just hit with an 80-game suspension for PEDs. And the craziest thing about that was maybe an hour before that report came out, I had just produced a podcast talking about how Paul Campbell may not be worth the Rule 5 spot for them anymore and why that spot could be better used for an Anthony Bender or maybe somebody else, just somebody better than what they were getting from Paul Campbell, especially as they were trying to use him more as a starter and stretch him out and they just were not even winning any of the ball games he was starting and struggled to keep a lot of them close as he would get knocked around pretty early and turn it over to the bullpen even when he was half decent would turn it over pretty early to the bullpen and it just was not the best option for the Marlins. It seemed like they had so many better internal options, but the issue being that once you remove him from the active roster, you have to offer him back to the initial team for half the price, which would be the Rays being able to purchase him for $50,000, which we would assume they would do easily, and that might end up being the case here, especially now after the suspension, though. We'll see if the Rays are still interested in Campbell and stashing him, but the crazy thing is to just see him get popped here with this 80-game suspension, especially after he's been pretty mediocre on the mound. Not that steroids directly correlate to success, but it would have been a bit more of a story, I think, across baseball if he was dominating. And then all of a sudden, this drug test comes up because he was a guy that was a Rule 5 pick coming out of nowhere a little bit. If he had performed, it may be more of a story. He was struggling, and now... He gets suspended for 80 games. I don't think the Marlins are going to feel that one too much. And Jordan Holloway, who I really like to potentially fill in that role no problem, would be a great option as I think he can get stretched out pretty easily to three, four innings if they want to try it. I think he's still pretty much solidified as a reliever, but in this situation, I think he's pretty decent to be able to try to be stretched out as a starter. If it doesn't work, keep him in the bullpen role. Uh, At the very least, you have a guy that can be a two, three inning reliever as a piggyback in Holloway, and we'll see who they decide to go with as a starter. Maybe Nick Neidert gets brought back into the mix. Maybe they decide to bring back Dan Castano. I'm not sure what the right move is for them, but they're going to have to try to figure out how to battle against a really good, at least this year the Diamondbacks offense has been one of the better offenses in baseball whether you want to believe it or not and they're going to need somebody to keep them in check outside of Pablo Lopez who will be tossing in the next ball game so that's going to be a big one if they want to sweep heading into LA that's going to be the way they want to do it or at least make sure they win the series heading into LA because that's going to be a tough one on the road coming up where they're going to probably get Julio Urias, Clayton Kershaw, and then Trevor Bauer. And the Marlins' offensive reinforcements will not be back then other than Brian Anderson. So that's going to be a bit 
of a struggle when the time comes. Try to get at least two out of three here if you can, if you're the Marlins against the D-backs. And of course, a sweep would be icing on the cake. A lot more things I wanted to talk about. Minor league opening day, which is awesome. And it was so much fun to watch all of the affiliates. I tried to keep up with all of them at once. Pensacola did get postponed due to weather and that will be now on Wednesday or today if you're probably listening to this on a Wednesday as I record this late Tuesday night and that's going to be really fun to watch as well but got to watch just about every single level that was possible to be viewed and it was so much fun a lot of prospects that made some waves yesterday that I'm looking forward to talking about and just highlighting some of these standout performances and then some things to watch moving forward as we have just minor league baseball pretty much every single day alongside this Marlins team that went healthy is a lot of fun to watch so I'm going to talk a little bit about the prospect performances in opening day and then finishing up a little bit with my thoughts on Monte Harrison and his seemingly public frustration in the way the Marlins are handling him uh, with him being moved up and down and the cryptic tweets that he's been putting out there wanted to talk a little bit about that as well and also what his outlook is this season and moving forward as the Marlins try to sort out their outfield situation even in the minor leagues it's a really deep system when it comes to the outfield and I think we saw that when the rosters were constructed and we got to see that today even though there was no game in Pensacola which is arguably one of the best outfields in all of minor league baseball or most exciting with Blade, Peyton Burdick and Gerard Encarnacion even Tristan Pompey is a former third round pick as the fourth outfielder out there. Going to talk a little bit about the minors and of course Monte Harrison in just a second. A reminder that this episode is brought to you by Sports Trade, where fantasy sports meets the stock market. It's really that amazing. Sports Trade takes fantasy to the next level. It's like Robin Hood for fantasy sports. Their platform allows you to buy and sell shares of your favorite players, just like real stocks, which is a fair and exciting way to cash in on your knowledge of sports. And they just added baseball to the platform, so you can go check it out today. Making money with Sports Trade is as simple as players' values rise and fall based on two factors. One, their statistical performance in each game as compared to their projected points in that game, meaning the more points scored, the higher their value goes. Two, good old supply and demand. The more demand a player has, the higher his value goes. So the more people that want to buy him, the more expensive he's going to be. And when you're ready to buy shares, pick that penny stock rookie with a huge upside or grab that blue chip vet who's always a solid performer. You can instantly buy and sell as many shares in as many players as you like, just like the stock market. Then watch your players battle and your portfolio value rise. Simply go to sportstrade.com and watch the How It Works video to sign up and then get started. Sign up today at Sports Trade and discover the fun and exciting and profitable new world of sports trading. Also brought to you by Blue Nile or the 10 by 10 collection. 1010 is a capsule collection of diamond rings that are responsibly sourced limited edition designs at fair price points using only diamonds sourced from Botswana. 10 female design masters have each produced a uniquely beautiful ring ideal for engagement, Mother's Day, or a simply beautiful conversation piece. They're the perfect way to bring light into her life. If you're on the hunt for the perfect unique ring she'll treasure forever, you're definitely going to want to check this out. They won't be around for long, so find them now by searching 10 by 10 only at Blue Nile.com. 
So let's talk about the prospect debuts, as, or at least prospect debuts for 2021, as it was a ton of fun to watch the entire minor league landscape for the Marlins and beyond. Of course, I got to do uh, the beyond part for my Locked On MLB Prospects show, where I'm trying to keep up with all of the best prospects across baseball. It was really fun to see Daniel Lynch make his debut for the Royals yesterday. I had him as my number two left-handed pitching prospect in baseball coming into the season, and I don't think he disappointed at all with that outing showing the special slider that he has. While I would probably put Trevor Rogers ahead of him right now, and I did have Rogers well inside of my top 10, left-handed pitching prospects, which was surprisingly not the case for almost every other prospect outlet. And of course, the Marlins ties to me made me more aware of Rodgers. And I always wonder what my take would, would have been on him if I wasn't covering the Marlins so closely as well. And that's just the crazy thing is Trevor Rodgers seemed to be only known about by people who cover the Marlins. Nobody else was really talking about him, even after some of the things that he showed last year. And I think that's just absolutely crazy because after what we saw last year, I came away really optimistic for this season, uh, as you already know. So I always think about that too. Where would I be on some of these Marlins prospects if I wasn't covering the Marlins? But I try to be as objective as possible. And when we look at somebody like Rogers, he's just really put it together. That being said, some of the guys that I've been a little bit skeptical on heading into the season, off to a good start. I wanted to see Jesus Sanchez. We know how gifted he is. I wanted to see how he can start to be able to tap into that power in games. He has some of the most electric bat speed you could see in all of the minor leagues, and he showed that off today. Home run in his first ball game, a line shot that just got straight out of there, and he's playing with AAA. That's a fun team over there. Lewin Diaz also goes yard in his first ball game for AAA, and they put on an offensive onslaught, which is going to be the case there over in Jacksonville. They're going to have plenty of offense throughout the season. But the bat speed on display by Jesus Sanchez in his home run is exactly what you want to see from him moving forward. But the big test also is going to be, can he consistently lift the ball because of the easy backspin and bat speed that he generates, backspin on the baseball to allow it to carry as well. He's going to be able to hit a ton of home runs. It's just way too many ground balls, and he squares baseballs up as he showed, a line drive shot home run. But let's see if he can start to generate some more lift and tap into that power a bit more because the bat speed there is among the best in minor league baseball. It seriously is, but he's never really had the numbers to show it. Some of that's approach dependent, and some of that is with the swing. And I'm excited to see how he is able to improve upon that, hopefully, this season off to a great start with that home run today. And Lewin Diaz looked great on his swing as well. Looking at a little bit of the high A ball game, the Beloit snappers ran into a pretty good arm. And it was just a guy that had the nastiest split change I've seen in a while from the minor league level and just had them all off balance most of the game. Thomas Jones stood out there the most offensively, and that's definitely a guy that has been a bit overlooked heading into the season. I've heard good things about Thomas Jones. He's a really athletic outfielder, has above average to plus raw power. He can move. He's a good defender, and he looks like he has just more of a presence at the plate now. He looks like he's filled out, and I loved what we saw from him today. Even his outs were loud outs, and the home run was a just a nuke. He's got big pop. He's a good athlete. Look out for Thomas Jones. He's another fun outfielder over there in that high A Beloit team that has a lot of talent. Griffin Conine over there, Cameron Meisner, Connor Scott, Will Banfield. There's plenty of guys to watch. Zach McCambly settled in after a bit of a rough start. 
flashed that plus curveball. The velo was a bit down from what we normally want to see, but I think it was just his first start. He was getting acclimated, but got a lot of strikeouts on that breaking ball and was able to locate the fastball pretty well at times. The issue for him was the changeup, which I thought could be a bit better, but it was also Zach's birthday and he turned in a pretty darn good outing and his debut on his birthday is pretty awesome. So a happy birthday to him and a congratulations on his first professional ball game as he seemed to get the jitters out after a slow start in the first inning, then punched out the subsequent three batters and seemed to settle in a bit moving forward, got out of a couple jams, got Garrett Mitchell out in some pretty big spots, and I thought he overall looked good, but he has some stuff to build upon, which is no surprise from a guy making his pro debut in high A. He really battled out there, though, and we'll see how the fastball continues to trend as we get deeper into the season, just the first start of the professional career of Zach McCambly, but a lot of good things ahead of him, and I'm looking forward to seeing him progress as the season goes on, and Kyle Nicholas, who's probably up next, who's going to be a lot of fun to watch on the mound, too. Osiris Johnson also went yard, who hasn't played in a professional baseball game in almost like three years, I think, at this point, basically since right after he was drafted, and now returns. He was hurt for all of the 2019 season, then missed, obviously, 2020 due to COVID, and now, in his first game back, hits a bomb. We know the guy can swing it. We got to see where he ends up position-wise. He's a bit inconsistent with the bat. I'm not totally sold on him long term and I do think there's some swing and miss there but there was explosiveness to that swing today and there's no better way to start your season than with a home run so let's see what kind of development he's made over the last couple years and after recovering from that injury he was the youngest player in his draft class literally 17 years old when the Marlins drafted him so still very young barely 20 and has plenty of time to develop and definitely has some tools to work with with some athleticism and some above average to plus raw power then I know the Marlins are pretty excited about. So definitely a big year for him to prove some things and climb his way back up that top prospect list as I've seen MLB Pipeline has him at 30. Some others have him fluctuating between the mid-20s to above 30. And uh, he's got a chance to climb though. He's one of those guys that could have the helium if he puts it together with age on his side. I wanted to discuss the Monte Harrison situation a little bit. And situation's a strong word. It's really just him being frustrated publicly, but I don't think that's the right way to go about it. And I've seen Marlins fans on Twitter kind of engaging with some of his tweets, quoting some of his tweets. He's not replying to anybody, but he keeps putting out those cryptic messages. And I think it's a little bit unprofessional, honestly. I understand the frustration. And honestly, I don't totally understand the frustration because I'll never know what it's like to be a ball player getting moved up and down and all that goes with it. But at the end of the day, Monte Harrison hasn't really done anything to earn himself playing time on the Major League Ball Club. He should be happy that he's getting called up and getting some opportunities here and there. I understand that it's not the opportunities that he's hoping for, and I understand that it's kind of frustrating to see somebody like Lewis Brinson get 700 at-bats and you only get about 50 at the Major League level. I get it. But you have to be able to control what you can control, and that's hit. If you're hitting right now and absolutely mashing, yet you are not getting the opportunities at the big league level, then I would understand the public frustration. But to tweet things out like, uh, I'm not going to be the nice guy anymore, and like, LOL, just LOL, like the most passive-aggressive tweet ever after getting sent back down to AAA. And I just don't really know what he was expecting. Uh, This was supposed to be the plan all along. You were going to start in AAA, see how it goes 
goes if there's an opportunity in the big leagues and you get moved up and if you're hitting and force your way into big leagues you'll get moved up if somebody gets hurt then that could be your opportunity too somebody did get hurt but they weren't hurt for long and they came back and now they're good and now you need to go back to AAA. the other thing too i know some fans are saying well why not just dfa brinson or option brinson and give uh monte harrison the reps. I think what people aren't realizing is that there still is a difference between Lewis Brinson and Monte Harrison. There really is. And one of them is 700 plate appearances. And I know you're going to say, well, Brinson hasn't really produced in those 700 plate appearances. Monte Harrison has been worse in the 50 plate appearances that we've seen from him. And also, Lewis Brinson has been more comfortable in the outfield. And Lewis Brinson has shown that he can hit against lefties competently and has shown that over the last few ball games. Brinson, if we're talking about pick your poison here, and I'm not trying to gas up Brinson, don't get me wrong. Like, I am not trying to gas up Brinson. But if you need to win a ball game and you have to pick between Lewis Brinson and Monte Harrison as one of your starting outfielders, and I know you're probably thinking like, okay, just kill me instead. But the correct pick is Lewis Brinson. He gives you a better chance to win. That's just the case at this point. Does Monte Harrison have more potential? Yes, because Monte Harrison is younger. He has not failed as much and given you more reason to temper his ceiling long term. And that's a totally different conversation. But we're talking about winning right now. Lewis Brinson gives you the better chance, whether fans want to believe that or not. I know he's frustratingly bad sometimes, but right now he does give the Marlins a better chance, especially because Monte Harrison struggles against all major league pitching. Brinson does not struggle quite as badly against left-handed pitching, and he showed it again today. He's been good over the last few ball games, which just further reinforces the move to send Monte Harrison down because he really hasn't been good for a stretch of any games so far in the big league level. And again, that doesn't mean he's doomed. He still has a lot more uh, hope than a Brinson at this point with age and not as much experience on his side. But let's see you do it at AAA. Let's see you consistently hit before there's this level of entitlement that you getting sent down is some sort of unfair treatment or something that is unsurprised or not deserved or whatever you want to kind of get or take away from his tweets. I just don't like that. I think it's a really bad sign, honestly, of where he's at mentally. And I hope that it can go two ways, right? It can go in a way where it lights a fire under you and you mash and you just force your way back up to the big leagues, or you can kind of just keep playing the victim card a little bit and just say you're a victim of circumstances, they're not giving you a chance, this, that, and that. Uh, I only think you can make that case if you're like Jared Kalinick and you don't get called up by midseason. That would be more of a case in that regard. Monte Harrison has not proven that much yet, and while I really want to see him turn into a star and I love the fire and the passion and everything that he brings to the game, I love the way he plays. And there's reason to be frustrated in his situation, and I'm sure he feels like he's ready for big league at-bats, but he has really shown that he is not. I think there's been some really difficult at-bats for him at the big league level. So just get a half a season under your belt at AAA. You're in Jacksonville. It's not that bad. It's in a nice spot compared to many of the other minor league affiliates. Just hit well there. You're a little bit familiar with the area. You played there before. It's a really good ball club over there from with some teammates that you've played with before. It's not like they're, you're getting shipped back out to Boise, Idaho. Just hit pretty well for a few months and work your way back. 
I know it's not the same. I know it sucks when you get a taste of the major leagues and have to get sent back, but we can't be subtweeting as a grown man and a professional athlete. I just don't like the way that gets things going between the clubhouse, gets things going with the fan base, and just the narrative in general around that player. It's like you look at him and you're like, okay, is he unhappy now? You're starting to watch how they're behaving, what they're saying in interviews. Now you're seeing how the Marlins are managing him. And it's like, why do you even want to bring that upon yourself? Why do you even want to bring that narrative there and have more going on outside of the fact that you're just playing baseball? I wouldn't really want any other storylines or anything else there, even if I did feel like I was being slighted to a degree until it really got egregious, like Chris Bryant with the Cubs, then I would really speak up. But other than that, I just don't think it is worth it for Monte more to lose than to gain. And I think we're seeing that now. I hope he gets off to a great start in Jacksonville and then we'll see him back in the bigs. As for the Marlins big league team, they've got Two more ball games coming up, as I alluded to earlier. They're going to face Luke Weaver, and that should be Pablo Lopez pitching that game. And then game three is anybody's guess against Madison Bumgarner. I'm assuming it could be Nick Neidert. We could see the piggyback. Uh, Madison Bumgarner threw that fake no-hitter. That was kind of cool. So we'll see how they do in that outing. Overall, the Marlins have been better against left-handed pitching. But I don't know if Bumgarner is now a little bit reinvented and might be better than he's been because he's been a disaster with the D-backs. And since that ATV accident, uh, I don't know. So we'll see. That should be interesting. Luke Weaver has been surprisingly solid as he's abandoned the breaking ball and has gone just more fastball changeup and tried to locate better. So that will be a good challenge for some of these Marlins hitters. But if they go right-handed heavy in the lineup, then Weaver could struggle. He has some success now going change-up heavy against the lefties. But now as the Marlins can go with a bit more of a right-handed heavy lineup, I think it could be some trouble for Luke Weaver. But we've seen the Marlins struggle against some of those change-up guys and start to rack up the swings and misses. So we'll see if they can take one of these next two. Two out of the two would be a huge bonus ahead of the trip to the defending champion Los Angeles Dodgers, who have not been great, and it will be a homecoming for Dylan Floro. Looking forward to the revenge games for one of the Marlins' best bullpen arms, who I think actually the Dodgers could use right now as they have a lot of arms dropping like flies, unfortunately. I look forward to talking about more of this series tomorrow. I'll have another game recap and a locker room post-game or pre-game. Keep an eye out at Nate on Twitter. I'm going to finally get to the locker room and do that on the Locker Room app. You can follow me to know when I will eventually go live, but I'll try to keep you in the loop on that on Twitter if you want to engage and ask any questions and have a little bit of a conversation there on that Locker Room app. As always, thank you for listening. Thank you to those who take the time to leave ratings as they help me immensely with visibility and growing this show. And I look forward to talking Marlins with you tomorrow.